On today's complicated conversation, we welcome Emma Gray. Emma is a novelist, feature writer, photographer, professional speaker, and accountability coach. She's been writing fiction since she first fell for Anne of Green Gables at 14 and is the author of the YA novels Unrequited Boy Band Meets Girl, Tilly McGuire and the Royal Wedding Mess, the nonfiction title I Don't Have Time, and the parenting memoir Wits End Before Breakfast, Confessions of a Working Mom. Along with her school friend, dual ARIA-winning composer Sally Whitwell, Emma co-wrote two musicals, Deadpan, Anti-Fan, and Fairytale Derail, based on her teen novels. Emma lives just outside Canberra, Australia, where her world centers on her two adult daughters, young son, loved stepchildren, and step-grandchildren, writing, photography, and endlessly chasing the Aurora Australias. I mean, that bio. Love that bio. <laughs> Love Amazing. That. So your first adult novel, which is what we're going to talk about, The Last Love Note, is out now. So welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Emma. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here talking to you both. So we're very excited to ask um, some deeper questions. But first, why don't you just give our listeners the elevator pitch for The Last Love Note? Mm. Well, this is a novel that was very hard one for me because it's something that I wrote after I lost my husband in 2016. And it's a book about a midlife widow who is processing her, her husband's loss at the same time as starting to fall in love with someone new. And it's a part rom-com, but it's very deep and has really two big storylines of two big love stories in, in the book. And uh, it's it's been published by Zibby Books in the US and also by Penguin Random House in Australia. And I've just been overwhelmed by the response from readers, whether they've been through loss themselves. And I think pretty much all of us has faced that or we will face that. And that's really why I wanted to write this novel, because when I was trying to figure out what on earth had happened in my life, I turned to books. And I think we often do turn to books. And I just needed to find a way to get all of my emotions out of my head and onto a page. Yeah, yeah, which so many people can relate to in different ways. But that is, I think, why we write to process things and to figure out what's going on for ourselves in our lives. I want to talk about Kate, the main character in your book. She's dealing with her husband's death. She's raising a young son. She's trying to hold down a job and dealing with an overbearing mother. She is caught in this impossible tangle of loss and longing, and she wonders if she can, rightfully so, risk her heart again. I want to talk about your development of Kate. As you've already mentioned, this is this is pulls from your real life, but it's also fiction, and you chose to write it as a novel, and we can imagine that there was freedom around that. So I want to talk about how you developed... Kate, how you found your access point and then how you let her be her own character. Mm. Yes, because the a lot of Kate's grief is, of course, my own. And there is an awful lot of me in her. I was asked once on a podcast, somebody said to me on a podcast, Kate's a bit of a hot mess. Where did that come from? And I said, well, that's all from my own life. There's an opening scene <laughs> where her son wanders out with a grenade in his hand, a genuine Vietnam era grenade. And that really happened in our lives. And I mean, we didn't have the hot neighbour and we didn't have the nice love interest in this on the scene, but <laughs> the rest of that was drawn from real life. And so there's there's a lot of me in Kate, 
But then the the whole love second chance love story of her falling in love again is all fictionalized, and that really gave me an opportunity to think about to put myself into that scenario and to imagine what that would be like. I'm in a group of young widowed people here in Australia, and I'm surrounded by a lot of people who have done that who have have fallen in love again so and I've been supporting them and talking to them throughout that process so I had access to a lot of those emotions and it just as you say gave me it was liberating it gave me a chance to play in a a future that may or may not happen for me and just to imagine and almost rehearse how that would be and that was just a a real escape I wrote most of that storyline during the pandemic and so it was just this lovely way to, ah. to escape into a fantasy world yeah. oh and to put yourself yeah. on a beach in a cute little cottage yes. with a handsome man that was that was a yeah. great idea <laughs> um very good um so you know you said as we know this is a rom-com a romance but it is also deals so much with grief which could seem inconsistent um but mm. to me doesn't seem so, and certainly not in your book. Um, when I was reading it, I saw one of these quotes, and it made me think of you and of this novel. And it was very simple. It said, grief is the most honest reflection of love. And mm. I thought, that's exactly right. I mean, grief, we would not feel grief as profoundly as we do if we didn't also have the capacity to or the experience of the deep love. They they really do go hand in hand. And you know, in the book, you have a lot of rom-com references, which I love because Kate is a, a hopeless romantic and loves her rom-coms. But one was to Sleepless in Seattle. And she thinks, Kate thinks of a line from that about people who've loved being more likely to love again. And I feel that's also true of people who have lost because the loss mm-hmm. and the love, you know, they go, they do seem to go together. So what did you want people to take away from this book about grief and loss and love? Because there's so many beautiful messages that come out of it around those themes. Mm. I think you're right about the light and shade going together and I wanted to reflect reality and the reality that I found is that even during the darkest times and during loss and and just heartache there is often a lot of humor there is a lot of connection with other people mm. and friendship and lightness and so I wanted to encapsulate that It's rarely the case that we're all one way or all the other way. It's usually a jumble up of all of those emotions. Um, And I wanted people to feel that way when they finish reading the novel. I wanted to leave them on a hopeful note and a romantic note and almost that same feeling that you get when you watch a big rom-com at the movies and you're a complete mess at the end of it, but in all the ways, all the good ways and you're distraught, but you're happy and you're feeling all of those things. But I also very much wanted to capture grief as it really is and to not shy away from those emotions because I don't think that we, certainly in Australia, do grief very well. We do tend to run away from it (laughs) almost as if it's contagious Mm -hmm. and if we start talking about it, (laughs) that will happen to us, you know, and and it will happen to every one of us. If we love somebody, we're going to lose somebody and I wanted to make it easier for us to have these sorts of conversations where we feel less alone. Every single day I receive messages from readers. One yesterday from a a young widow who lost her husband three years ago who said that 
for the last three years, she has felt like there is not a single person in the world that understands how she feels until now that she's read this book. And it's it's yeah. not just people that have lost their partner, it's people that have lost children, babies, parents, friends, mm-hmm. sisters um, are, are all getting in touch. And I think that loss is just a universal language and it's a language that we need to speak aloud more often. So that was really yeah. my motivation for writing it, partly yeah. to help people feel less alone, but also, of course, partly for me to just go through my own process of of, of loss and to have a cathartic experience um, just as a person, let alone a writer. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about what you think about the definition of grief, including other things that just feel that we experience as loss. Because I wonder if it's because we're so polarized, like grief is only the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. And so any other loss, you know, of of expectation, of uh, something new, of a job, of a, you know, a path in life, while that's not the same as losing a loved one, if we could call it grief with a little g maybe it wouldn't feel so scary when it was the bigger stuff and we could build up to it and we could have more vocabulary and more conversation around it i wondered what you thought about that because it's it's certainly not the intention to yeah to minimize the grief Mm -hmm. of losing a person and and all that comes with that as a that's not the same as a job but but if the conversation could include like i said a little g grief that maybe we wouldn't be so scared of it when it was bigger. I think you're right. And I mm-hmm. think every one of us, whether we lost someone or not, will have all those little G griefs as well all the time. Grief is really the loss of the future that you planned as well. Um, you can lose mm, a thing or right. a person mm-hmm. or an expectation or a house or, you know, there's so many different types of loss in our lives. But really it's it's that suddenly what you thought was going to happen is not going to happen anymore and then there's this big gulf between where you thought you were going to be and where you are and during grief you're sort of in this cavernous ditch and trying to it's dark and you're trying to figure out where to go and what to do and I remember reading an explanation once that said that grief was like uh, being on one mountaintop and then waking up on another mountaintop and the entire Mm. landscape is completely changed and you're lost and we can feel that way about so many different things in life when you lose a partner you also experience a whole lot of those secondary losses it's it's loss of you know even down to things like how you eat dinner what you eat for dinner um, where you go on holiday who you hang out with um, job changes all that sort of stuff hits as well but I think that for me, what I've found is that going through a loss this profound has actually now helped me to deal better with some of those other losses when they happen. So I still have all those disappointments and failures. And as a writer, of course, you have a lot of rejection and, and, and you know, persistence is, is really the, the only thing you can cling to as a writer to get through your career. And I've become so much better at dealing with those disappointments in life because I have been through a loss that required me to absolutely rewrite my whole future. Um, So it's something that I I noticed in my children as well, that there's a resilience they have now that I'm sure they wouldn't have necessarily built or it may have taken longer 
had they not been through what they've been through at such a young age. So there's a lot of negativity, yeah. of course, about loss, but there's also some gifts in there that I think we um, we take away if we can from a from an awful experience. Yeah, and by not talking about it, we don't acknowledge those things and how you come out on the other side. Um, you know, kind of like your that you were talking about your reader email. Like, no, I didn't know anyone felt like this, and then mm-hmm. she read your book. Speaking of, I, I want to talk about your path to publication for this novel. I, I wondered if at any point you thought it might be nonfiction, something uh, of a memoir, but I, I'm guessing not because you really wanted to go into this second chance love story mm-hmm. that that you wanted to imagine and explore, uh, kind of as you as you were talking about, kind of try it on. Um, but then I also wanted to talk about how you wrote it. I think on your Instagram, you wrote that it was terrible when you started it and you went through 11 drafts, including a substantial rewrite after it was accepted for publication. Uh, Been there myself, so I I understand. (laughs) And in the novel, Kate struggles with whether she is a writer or she can be one. And I wondered what kept you motivated and pushed through um, Mm. to get this where it is now, which is, I, I feel like, a dream come true. The way it's yeah, it feels like a fairy tale now. But the <laughs> as you know, as with any good fairy tale, there was a lot of angst and, and a lot of twists and turns to get this far. Um, I knew not long after Jeff died, within a couple of days, that I would end up having to write my way through that loss. And at first, I really started just by writing little Facebook posts. I say little, but they were quite long just to my friends explaining what For happened Facebook post, yeah. during the day, you know, whether it was that I went had to go into the bank and close an account and the person was, you know, awful about it or which happens a lot when you've lost someone. Um, people just don't handle it well. And mm-hmm. yeah, whatever had been happening, I would document it. So I almost had this live diary of grief that I could go back to when I came to write the book. And I did consider it a memoir, but I'm the only oversharer in my family and everyone else is really private. So I I had to think about the other people in the family. Um, and then, as you say, this gave me the opportunity just to play in this entire, entirely different fictionalised story um, about Kate's future. So that was a delicious thing to do, really um, great. Yeah. But I went to the US um, Jeff, my husband, was a military historian and he had been the president of the um, sort of peak body of military historians in the US, even though he's Australian. And so when he died, they flew me over to Florida for a conference in his honour. And it was only eight months after he died oh. and I was an absolute wreck. I got on the plane and in Sydney and I started crying because I was finally without my children and I could have this space for my own loss to oh, emerge. Yeah. And I started crying and I was still crying in LA when I landed. And that's a very long flight oh. for anyone who's flown from Australia. It's yeah. 15 hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and it was, it was, and then the oh. conference itself was like being at a second funeral and it was just, I was surrounded by people who loved him and admired him, talking about him. And I'd go back to the hotel room on my own at night and just fall apart. And so I'd been at this real low in Florida. And then I went to New York, which I'd never been to before, was one of Jeff's favourite cities in the world. And I thought I'll just have a couple of days in New York. And it was there that I had my first glimpse of hope about the future because I remember going and visiting the 9-11 memorial 
and thinking this city has just seen so much grief on such a wide scale and just thinking about every single name on that memorial and the loss that that would have caused in in all the family's lives. And I thought, you know, then I walked back up and I was walking through Broadway and the lights were dazzling and then I'd be in Central Park and it was beautiful and I remember thinking maybe I've also got a future like this place. And so I took myself to the New York Public Library to the Rose Reading Room and sat there and I thought I'm going to start writing this book. This is the day I flew home to Australia. And so I just sat there and took a photo of my laptop and wrote a couple of paragraphs. And then recently when I was in the US on book, on a book tour, I went back to the reading room and I took the, the book that is now published by, by my New York publisher. Oh. Yeah. sat down at the same desk and just had this amazing full circle moment oh, and yes. you know, it, was, it was six years and 11 drafts later and I had gone through so much in that time oh. because I think eight months on you think oh well, you know I'm sort of through the worst but you don't realize that the worst is probably still to come and you know it's a very very difficult few years there at the, in the early stages and so there was this beautiful moment and then when I was published when I received news that I was going to be published. I had actually the, the book was out in Australia and um, had been out since January, almost a year ago now. And um, my agent, Anjanette Fennell, who's here but who is American originally, had been following Zibby Owens online and thought she was just extraordinary in terms of just her whole approach to books and reading and publishing. Yeah. And she's got that podcast, yes. Mums Don't Have Time to Read Books, and Ange thought mm-hmm. it would be great to get Zibby to interview me. So she sent the PDF um, to Zibby sort of via almost via Instagram and um, Zibby was on a flight from L.A. to New York reading the novel and she got up to the bit in the book about New York and looked out the window and saw the city underneath her and said she had a bit of a moment where she felt like she was in a movie herself <laughs> and she asked oh Ange, had we, had we sold the rights to the US um, in UK? The that US in is UK. <laughs> and, and so within, within. That is wild. I know. So within five days, I was on a Zoom call with her just like this, talking to her and eight, uh, eight of her staff about. She, wow. was sort of, she was saying things like, you know, we do things differently. We, we put the authors really centre stage in this publishing company and we have author retreats in the Hamptons. And I had this moment where I thought, she's pitching herself to me, not the other way around. And it was You're just like, exactly. a mind-blowing experience. <laughs> and um, because in the past oh I've had all the typical, wow. all the typical experiences of, you know, rejections and, and all those disappointments with other books and, you know, that, that's just the natural path, but this was very fairy tale. It felt very fairy tale, and we'd actually had this funny thing yes. happen here where we'd had um, there'd been a recall of spinach bags of spinach from the local supermarkets here in Australia, and they were causing hallucinations. And I remember sitting there thinking, "I have a lot of spinach." <laughs> Did I? Is this oh real? My God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to get on I the phone to my agent. That... And, Confirm that this conversation actually happened. I got in the car. In the car. You know how you get in the car and turn the radio on and it's exactly the song you need to hear in that moment? It was Alicia oh, Keys' Empire yes. State of Mind. <laughs> and it was up to the chorus. I mean. All about New York and dreams that, coming true. And I just thought this is 
This of course. You've got to be kidding me. Wow. Well, that's what I was going to say. You would have had Corinne and I, the two New York girls, at just if you had just stopped your story at the fact that the New York Public Library and the Central Rose Park room. and, and yeah, New York room. reinventing itself was inspiring yeah. to you. That yeah. was so beautiful. But then the rest of it, how that Zibby was seeing when she was flying and then uh, Alicia Keys. I mean, this And is- that she, you were being pitched to just be on the podcast and she's like have you sold the u.s rights I know. that is it was, incredible it was one of those things in life that i've noticed happens where you go into something with no expectation of what you're actually hoping for and you just are having a genuine connection with someone and this is what's happened yeah. you know I mean, I had another thing happen like that this year where my daughter, who's 25 and doing criminology and she's doing a PhD, I have another friend who's doing a PhD and I noticed both of them were sort of complaining and procrastinating and saying how hard it is. And I said, why don't you two meet and just sort of talk each other through? And that one conversation has led to a career breakthrough for my daughter that saw her going to the UN in New York to the Commission on the Status of Women and and representing the Australian government as a civil delegate. And, you know, I said to her, that's another example. (laughs) If you just sort of connect with people, you'd never know what might happen. Mm -hmm. And she actually went and met Zibi months ago before I did and um, sent a photo of herself with Zibi and all the team and... (laughs) Having lunch at Zibby's house. And <laughs> I followed through a few months later Incredible. and said, "Hi, I'm Hannah's mum." And <laughs> but it was it was a that really is you know wonderful. again a beautiful unexpected piece of magic. Yes, I love oh. that. You have a reference to unexpected magic in the book, and I I was going to ask you about that. I mean that it's but you've I mean you believe in it. I don't need examples. You've just like literally You've lived given it. us how could you not yeah so well, many I've, that's I've incredible a, um, oh. i've got this philosophy about rejection and, and risk and on my kitchen wall i have a chart where i have a hundred this year it's going to be called a hundred risks and chances but rejection. previously it's been a hundred rejections this idea of just going out there and putting things out there and and not being too attached to what happens and just taking risks and seeing you know what unfolds And it's the thing that I did when I, so, you know, there's a strong theme in the novel about Kate as a photographer chasing photos of the aurora, uh, the northern lights, but also the southern lights. And and that was, again, from my life. And I had heard that you could see this amazing thing in the sky from not far from where I live. And it took me seven years of attempting to take photos in the dark And I'd get spooked out in the middle of nowhere in national parks and, (laughs) you know, I didn't know what I was doing or how to use the camera and all of that for for a long time. But now I've caught that that beautiful uh, phenomenon, I think, 14 or 15 times. And 
it wow. it's just another example of persistence and holding on to a dream and and riding your way through all of the inevitable disappointments along the way. I think there's too many times that we try something once and then give up and think, well, that didn't work. Yeah. But so often yeah. it's not that yeah. at all. It's just that it hasn't met the right person yet or fallen onto the right desk, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Just, my sister says keep the it, faith and it's just the faith that mm-hmm. in your project or in yourself or in what you're doing. Yeah. There's that expression that the difference between an aspiring writer and a published writer is just that they didn't give up yeah, because yeah. that is the real, the real struggle is to not take those rejections personally, to not let it get to you. And, and like you just said, keep the faith. Instead. The, um, yeah. the, one of my teenage novels um, I wrote because my, my 14 year old at the time hated reading, but she loved Harry Styles. So I thought I'll write this little story about a boy band to show her that reading can be fun. That's one of the ones that's been turned into a musical. Anyway, when that was first submitted for publication, it got through to the acquisitions meeting at HarperCollins and um, at an acquisitions meeting everyone in the room has to agree on a book and everyone in the room did agree but there was one person missing and they had to run it by her just almost as a formality the next day and she said no. So it was this huge disappointment at the time and then that book went through 17 other rejections but two years after that first rejection, HarperCollins came back and said, we've got a new team, we love this, we've taken it through acquisitions, here's a two-book deal. And, you know, that was the (gasps) same publisher rejecting it and then accepting it. So, right. Again, you know, another another story about persistence. Unexpected magic. Timing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yes. right. Yes. Yes. But wow. I saw that post you're talking about where you make that list, that hundred, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it was rejections, now it's risk and chances. I don't know. I feel like I, I loved that. I, I think that the fact that you're sort of chronicling it and you're conscious of it, you're kind of attracting mm-hmm. these things, yeah. I feel like, with your I think it, with well, your the thoughts. idea is... Um, is to put so much out there that, yes, there'll be rejections, but there'll also be things that come back. And it's only, it's almost a numbers yeah. game, really. Right. The more that's out there, the higher your chances are working. Yeah, I think there's a researcher, Adam Grant, in the U.S. that yeah. talks about it, that creativity is quantity yeah. over quality. It's mm. the, the quality can get better, but it's the quantity that, that decides where, when you get something good, mm. when you hit it, mm. hit it in the right way at the right time yeah yes yeah i need to talk about another instagram post of yours and one of my favorite topics you had a great one about the genetic reasons why you're romantic um (laughs) that this is (laughs) genetic this is in your genetics um and you can i'm happy to hear them all they were great but the one that i care about the most is Related to Anne of Green Gables, because it's also in your bio, I am a huge, huge lifelong fan. And you said in this post that your grandmother named her home Avonlea. So first yes. of all, I might blew my mind. Um, and then in the book, Kate thinks about her type, and she's not sure that she has a type other than the ones you see in the rom-com she loves. So like Mr. Knightley over Mr. Darcy, which, by the way, I'm totally with Kate on that. Um, but then you wrote Gilbert Blythe over every man in existence, living or dead. Amen to that. Um, <laughs> and so 
I'm a huge fan. I talk about it all the time. But as I'm reading this in your book, I decided for the first time in, I cannot tell you how long, to go back to Anne of Green Gables. I hadn't read it in so long. I had been thinking about it for a while. I was trying to figure out what is it about him and their relationship as a as a romance reader, you know. So there was a new Audible production of it. I don't know if you've heard oh, about it, it, but Megan mm-hmm. Follows, who played Anne yes. in, in the beloved PBC, she's mm-hmm. the director. Carly oh. Fortune told, me, told us about this because her book is set in PEI. And so she turned me on to it. And Victor Garber plays Matthew and Catherine O'Hara plays Marilla. I mean, it's, and it's so well done. It's like audible, but like, you know, when it's more like there's musical instruments in the background, it's so good. But anyway, I was, I was back into Anne of Green Gables while I'm reading this. So I was like, first of all, I have to tell you, but also, so I am just anyone when I hear that they are one of a fan what what is it for you about Anne and Gilbert and that romance? And what, what why does it stick with us so much? Oh, well, is it that it's one of the earliest romances we probably read because it was, a, a, yes. you know, most of us picked it up as teenagers just beginning to get for into sure. that phase. So maybe there's part, partly that. But Gilbert was just such a firm friend of hers after the debacle with calling her carrots, of course. But he was such mm-hmm. a firm friend and supporter of hers. For me, I think it was the moment where he gave up the school for her. And yes. um, so that sort of thing, I think, is what real love really mm-hmm. looks like. For me, there was also, with that book, it was not just the Anne and Gilbert storyline. And I mean, I was obsessed and to this day, I'm still obsessed with him. Um, it was her as a writer and the way she yeah. aspired towards that career. And I remember watching the the series with Megan Follows when I was, I don't know, 14, and my sister and I were introduced by our very romantic family, the the, the aunts and the grandmothers and, and our mum, and we sat down and watched that. And it was the summer holiday, the Christmas summer holidays in Australia. So I remember watching it and thinking, A, I'm in love with this boy, and when will we ever find a boyfriend oh, yeah. like that? And really, when will we ever? Um, <laughs> and then B. I don't know. I'm still looking. <laughs> and then B, it was Anne is a writer. And I I thought, well, that's how I feel about the world. I'm constantly making up stories in my head. And, and I went straight to the newsagent and got a notebook and pen because this was the 80s and we didn't have laptops and started writing a novel that summer. And it was terrible. But it was <laughs> – but it was – from watching Anne and Gill and and watching her in particular and I loved that that she her disappointments and rejections are chronicled in that story as well and that she doesn't just have a fairy tale writing career either at first and so it's um I don't know there's just something about that and, and it's a comfort watch that we can go back to and a comfort read that we can go back to and now a comfort listen thank you for mentioning that the yeah. audible production um so many times and I think those stories just really stick with us all through our lives and I do feel like saying if I ever do sort of step back into the dating scene you know it's like you know here's 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 Gilbert Blythe if you can't measure up to him then don't worry and here's here's my book and so read up on Hugh and what he's like and you know Hugh (laughs) Hugh has very some Gilbert 
I felt some Gilbert and Hugh for sure. Yeah. Yeah, The self-sacrifice and putting her. Oh yeah. I, I, I knew Mm. that you were, that they were kindred spirits, if you know what I mean. So on the kitchen wall again is the, is my sort of goals for the year. And one of them is Canada because I've never been and Prince Edward Island in particular. And the very next morning I woke up and the first Instagram post that I saw was a copy of my book, a review of my book written from a reader in Prince Ed- on Prince Edward Island. And I just thought, it's a sign. That's as you know, first it's review I read. In- yes. <laughs> yes. You're getting there. You're, it's calling to you too. What, what you seek is seeking you too, is that what they say? Yeah. Um, I do think the timing has a lot to do with it too. I was not introduced to Anne of Green Gables as a child. I found it when my daughter was I think like nine or ten and she also loved it and I loved her I loved it for her but I just didn't have the same experience I Mm. think the timing it's just so pure and perfect for that Mm. for a young age and and to have that be the aspirational um dynamic I have to tell but, you something else that came out in a but it's going to get to our astrology question if you yeah if okay you let me yeah. so I was listening, like I said, and I haven't read it in a long time. And I was so struck by ha- Anne's temper, and which I, I don't know why I forgot that. Like, she's so yeah. impatient and so short-tempered. And in my head, I went, I think Anne is an Aries. I'm sorry, Corinne. <laughs> I think Anne is an Aries, right? So, But then I was like, oh, but she's so into imagination and she's a dreamer. I'm like, could be a Pisces, right? I don't know. I don't know why I thought this would be on Google, but everything's on Google. I'm like, I wonder if anyone, I mean, this book's been around for so long. Perhaps we know Anne's birth. Oh, no, I know. I'm sorry. The In the book, they say she was born in March, but they mm-hmm. don't say a date. So that's why I was going back and forth between Aries or Pisces because I didn't know what day. And according to Google, her birthday is March 5th which would make oh. her a Pisces, but I do think the dreamer and imagination, but I somehow started thinking astrology while mm. also hearing Anne of Green Gables again. And we like to ask all our authors, what's their sign, which is why I'm bringing up astrology, Emma. Yes. And, and with your, I was going to say, uh, you, your bio yeah. just speaks to cardinal sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Doing lots of things. Yes. Yes, definitely. And mm-hmm. um, being multi-passionate. Maybe that's the Libran can't yes. decide. <laughs> you know, that there's a whole lot of balance. Yeah. And maybe that's why I like to write dual storylines, dual timelines, dual perspectives. And my next book mm-hmm. is a dual perspective. Um, two love stories in one. Maybe, you know, that's where, mm-hmm. where that comes like- out. Yeah. Oh, like the holiday that just reminded yes. me of two <laughs> yes. two love stories in one. Yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Then a, I just knew it had to be cardinal. a cardinal sign. Yeah. Be, being willing to start over, to to jump right in, and all, now it even makes more sense. The air sign it, it, that it that fits. Yeah. Well, uh, we want to thank you so much for your time. But before we go, will you tell us? Uh, what you're loving right now. You've already shared so many uh, interesting things that we can Mm -hmm. deep dive into, but are you reading anything or watching anything that you want to share with our listeners? I am. I'm really excited about a book that's coming out in the US. It's already out here um, by Karen Main, and it's called Lenny Marks Gets Away with Murder. 
but it's a really quirky character-driven story that I think you're going to love. So I've been reading that and I actually put a post up on my Facebook page this week saying, let's have a late to the party thread. What are you watching that, that everyone else has already watched and you haven't? And yeah. I've been watching Shit's Creek, which I somehow missed. I mean, I knew it was on, but I just never oh, got into it the first same. time around. So I've yep. been binge watching that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I watch that, that's a bit sort of different is that I'm totally into watching Korean rom-coms. And there's a whole lot of Korean rom-coms on Netflix. And I, I mean, they're so mm-hmm. soppy and ridiculous and... I just love them. So I've been watching that as well. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> oh, perfect. It's it's research, right? It's yeah. It is. Pre- yeah. I think it just gave us You're an like, idea I just for, love them too. Yes. This would be a good idea for us for a series. The Late, late to, the, to party. the Party. I love that. You can pick a show that. or movie I mean, or something we missed. And, and the thread was so fascinating. I think you ended up with sort of 100 people mm-hmm. commenting and saying, yeah, I've never watched – um, the West Wing or the, you know, or Game of Thrones or and, and it was just all these things that you assume that people have all seen and um, oh, and then we were talking yeah. about why people miss the boat. So I'm one of those people who still is yet to watch the West Wing. I can barely admit that. But um, but when I look back, Same. that was on oh, when really? my – because then people started saying yes in Australia – when that, that they were all watching that when news broke of of um, the twin towers and they came, people were coming back into the room after a, going to the bathroom and thinking wow this is this is a lot even for the west wing thinking they were still watching the show but actually oh, they were watching, right um, right God. and Boy. so then i then that put in my head the time that, that the show was on here and i had a newborn baby i was struggling with her and um you know having i had postnatal depression at that time and so then i was thinking well that's why i never watched it and it was then so then we were sort of right. analyzing why we missed things and it was so interesting um but it's lovely to come back. It's almost lovely that, that we then were able to recommend yes. a whole lot of new things for each of us, well, new, new old things for each of us to catch up on. But it would right. be a great, yes. great topic for you, I think. Yes, absolutely. We're, we've, we've sort of been doing it with going back to certain pilots, um, pilot yeah. episodes that we – and how have they aged and all of that. Yes. But that is fantastic. Emma, you are just an absolute delight. I have yes. loved listening to you and talking with you. Uh, you're just an inspiration. Your attitude and your just, I, I don't know, joy for life. It's very Libra as well. Uh, yes, that is, is. That is true. It is. It is. And, um, and your romance just, and beautiful things. Yes. It's also very Libra. So Yeah, that's I love true. It. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, it's lovely. So yeah, thank you so, so much. Yes, and let me know how you like the Anne of Green Gables Audible production. I'm going to shoot me a note. (laughs) Yes, but you two have got such a beautiful interviewing style. It's so relaxed and lovely, and I loved your questions, and I could speak to you all day. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. Thank you.